Good morning. How much can we trust that, that fact, those words that we just sang, that God is a good father, that he is perfect in all his ways? Um, how, can, how much can we count on the legitimacy of the promise of life in the gospel? Um, we are continuing to look at the book of Titus, and we're going to look again. Uh, we looked at the first four verses last week. We're going to look at them again this week, focused on verse 1. Last week, we're going to focus mainly on verses 2 and 3. Um, we're going to really keep things kind of simple. We're really just going to focus on one main phrase here. Um, but just to remind you that the book of Titus is written by Paul. It was written by Paul to Titus after Paul had left Titus on the island of Crete to continue ministering to the people there. And, and Paul is telling Titus, okay, it's time to leave. And so this is what you need to do in order to set up the church in Crete as you leave it there on, on its own to set them up for success, to set them up in a place where they, they can healthily move forward. And, uh, and in the very beginning of the book, this, this is what we're really just looking at here is the greeting that Paul gives to Titus. And in the greeting, he reminds Titus of kind of the heart of Paul's ministry, of their ministry together, and what it is grounded on. So he tries to encourage Titus to have confidence in the truth of the gospel promise of life. So listen to God's word as I read from Titus 1, verses 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look at your words here that we would experience your grace and your peace. And no matter who is listening to this now and thinking about your word, Father, we pray that your spirit would meet us, that your spirit would convict us, that your spirit would encourage us and remind us of what is true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where exactly can I find the world's best cup of coffee? I don't drink coffee, so I don't really know. I mean, do, do restaurants really make this claim that they serve the world's best cup of coffee? I remember watching the movie Elf. If you've seen the movie Elf, Buddy the Elf has lived his entire life. He's grown up in the North Pole, and then he ends up in New York City, and he's wandering around New York City, and it's just like everything's new. He's just completely naive. He doesn't know how things work in the real world. And he walks by this diner, and in the, in the window of the diner, there's a there's a neon sign that says, world's best cup of coffee. And immediately he stops. And he opens the door and bursts into the diner. And he said, you did it! Congratulations! Good to meet you. And everybody just 
stares blankly at him, just being like, who is this guy? What is he talking about? Why is he congratulating us? Um, this is the thing. We, we live in a world where telling the truth is not always seen as necessary or important. In advertising, people work at promising things that their products don't always completely deliver, don't they? And, and we expect it. You know, when somebody has a sign in their window that says, world's best cup of coffee, we don't expect that to be the world's best cup of coffee inside, right? Um, we, we don't assume everyone is always telling the truth as we live our lives. That's kind of a rule of thumb as you interact on the internet, isn't it? I mean, with, with, uh, especially with like, things like clickbait, you know, these, these headlines that jump out at us that promise some kind of crazy, scandalous thing and, 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 or, or, or just like you know, earth-shattering news. And, and if you click on it and then you read through the entire article and you're like, that didn't have anything to do with what they said it was going to have to do with, you know? Um, as you interact with people on the internet, you, you, we kind of have to have conditioned ourselves to be like, you know, you can't always trust everything that's said there, right? It's not, everybody's not always telling the truth. We're, we're trained to be skeptical of emails that we get that promise us millions of dollars, right, if we just respond. Or, or we're skeptical to, 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 to respond to threats on the phone that our um, social security number has been compromised, right? Um, we, we are kind of conditioned to be suspicious of all sorts of claims that people make all around us. And a big reason I think it's hard for us to trust others is, is our experience is that a lot of people don't tell the truth, but it's also, we, we have experienced ourselves that we ourselves know that in our lifetime, we haven't always been completely honest we have spent time manipulating the truth at different times in our lives. We've all done it. I mean, we, we do it you know, for a couple different reasons. One reason we do it is because we feel the need to, to manipulate how other people see us, to kind of change the perspective of how other people see us. I mean, have you ever been telling a story and found yourself kind of exaggerating or maybe saying something that wasn't completely true to maybe make your story seem a little more interesting, to make yourself seem a little more interesting? Um, I, I even see it, you know, from, from a young age, we, we, Kim and I have been coaching soccer this past year. The season just ended. We, we coached a bunch of seven and eight-year-olds. And uh, I remember the very first practice, we did this drill where we set up a bunch of pairs of cones all over the field, and every kid had a ball, and they had to, we, we gave them a minute. I timed them, and they had to go around, dribble, and, and see how many cones they could dribble through, okay? How many, how many pairs of cones they could dribble through. And then I blew the whistle at the end as they, after the kids are, like, scurrying around. Some are just kind of, like, walking around, kicking it aimlessly. I blow my whistle. I'm like, okay, how many did you get? And, you know, the first kid's like, I did five. And then another kid says, says I did 12. And another kid says, I did 20. And then another kid says, I did 100. Physically impossible to do 100 in a minute for like a professional soccer player. And I say, oh, who else did 100? And everyone raises their hand, right? We manipulate the truth, because we want others to be impressed. We want to be the best. We want others to think well of us. Um, we want to think well of ourselves. That's one reason we manipulate the truth. We also, we also have manipulated the truth. I'm sure that many of us have manipulated the truth to, again, manipulating other people's perception to, to kind of get out of trouble, 
Um, have you ever, maybe in your workplace, you know, you were given an assignment to do something, or you said you were going to do something, and you forgot, or you didn't get to it, and then somebody checks up on you and says, did you get that done? And, and, and you had done nothing, right? But you say, well, I just started working on that this morning. <laughs> you know, something like that. We, we say things to, to make ourselves not look as bad. So we say, we say things to make ourselves look better. We say things to not make ourselves look as bad. But sometimes we fail to uphold the truth simply because we don't have control over life. You know, we, we promise to do something, like I promise, you know, I, I say, I'm going to be home by 6 o'clock tonight. And my intentions are to do that, but things come up. I get in a traffic jam. There's a detour. Somebody grabs me before I leave where I am, and, and, they, and I have to deal with what they're asking me to do. And because of all that, I don't get home by 6. I get home at 6.15. I get home at 6.30. And, and I prove myself, even though I said, you know, I'm going to be home by six, I prove myself to be a liar because I didn't have control of the situation. I couldn't, I couldn't follow through on what I said I was going to do. So these are, these are some reasons that we have for bending the truth, for not being, you know, completely honest all the time, to, to kind of manage people's perceptions of us and also because we don't have control. Um, we are so used, we're, we're used to not counting on people around us telling the truth or saying things that, that we can depend on, and we're conditioned to be skeptical. Um, I, th- I think uh, one, one night this past week, the kids, it was, it was getting close to bedtime. Um, you probably aren't surprised to hear this, but everybody would rather Kim put the kids to bed than me. She's everybody's favorite. I'm, I'm sure I don't have to convince any of you guys. You guys would probably all rather have Kim put you to bed than me, but... But the kids always would rather have her put, put them to bed. But about half an hour before bedtime, she had to run out and do an errand. But she was just going to run across town. So, so she was like, I, I'm going to be home before bedtime. I promise I will be home, right? And, uh, and, and she, she, we rarely, you know, try to promise anything because we don't want our kids to be like, oh, you promised and you didn't do it. So she was very confident. So she's going, going across town and coming back. And, and so, but the entire time she was gone, one of the kids was like, she's not going to be home, is she? She promised, but she's not going to be here in time, is she? Nope. The entire time, she just asked me that. I'm like, dude, if she promised, she's going to be here. She did. She got back in plenty of time to put them to bed. But that's the thing. We, we're all kind of conditioned to be skeptical of things that people say, especially good things that people say. And, and if that's the case for all of us, how can that not bleed over into how we view what God says to us? the promises he makes to us, the true, the things that he says are true, the good things that he says are true. And in the face of the skepticism, as Paul reminds Titus of their hope for their ministry, which is, what's the hope of their ministry? It's it's life, right? In hope of eternal life at the beginning of of verse two. That's the whole point of this, to help people experience life, true life, eternal life, supernatural life. He reminds Titus that this life, this promise of life, this experience of life is dependent on a God who never lies. It's dependent on a God who never lies and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. Lying has no part of the way that God operates or interacts with people. He is not capable 
of lying. We just read that earlier, right? God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. All of those reasons that we have to lie to kind of manage people's perceptions because we don't have control, they don't exist for God. They don't exist for him. First of all, as far as things being out of control for us so that we can't really depend on things that we promise to do, God is able to do everything that he says, everything that he wants. Remember? And, and that's why he says, God who never lies, he promised this life before the ages began, before, before anything else was here. God promised. He made a commitment to give life to those who would trust in him. This is his intent. And nothing stops him. Nothing will prevent him from, from following through on that commitment, on that promise. Nothing Psalm 135.6 says that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Isaiah 14.27 says that the Lord of hosts has purposed. Who can annul it? If God has decided to do something, nobody can obstruct him from accomplishing that goal. And if he, if he has promised to give life to those who will trust in him, then that life is available. He won't fail on that promise. He's, he's able to do all that he wants. Nothing is out of his control. But not only is God able to do everything that he says, God is also every bit as good as he promises to be. What he offers is every bit as good as, as what he offers. Where we might, we might need to bend the truth because we don't measure up and we need others to, to be convinced that we do measure up. God doesn't have that problem. In verse three, Paul points out that at the proper time, at the specific moment in history, God has manifested this, this hope of eternal life. He has gone public with it. He has proclaimed it through Paul's preaching, through the preaching of others. And, and, and this preaching has promised a life, an, a life of abundance, a life of peace, a life of joy. And even though it might be tempting for us to be like, well, it can't, it might not be as good as he says it is. It absolutely is because God is the one who created life, who defines life, who is the source of life. Psalm 16 reminds us that, that he makes known to us the path of life. Psalm 36 reminds us that God himself is the fountain of life. Jeremiah 10 describes God as the living God and the everlasting king. Life is who God is. It's knowing God. It's living life connected to him, sustained by him, knowing him. He is the definition of life. And so this promise of life, of eternal life, is wrapped into who God, wrapped, totally wrapped up in who God is, and he is every bit as good as he promises, as this gospel promises that he is. And so this is all I want to say this morning. And maybe I'm taking too long to say it already. God doesn't lie. He doesn't lie. He never lies. When he says, according to Psalm 139, that he knows you through and through, he knows you better than you know yourself, he's not lying. He knows what you were going through. He knows who you were hurting. He knows how you're tempted. He knows how you have failed. 
He's not lying. When he, when he says that he forgives you because of what Christ has done for you on the cross, that because of Christ living and dying and rising again, you are forgiven no matter how badly you feel about yourself, no matter how guilty you might be tempted to feel, no matter how ashamed you might be tempted to feel, God has forgiven you. He's not lying. When he says, do not fear, as you think about the things in your life, he's not lying. When he says, I will protect you, he's not lying. When he says, don't worry, I will take care of you and provide for your needs, he's not lying. When he says that he loves you, he's not lying. When he says that he is working every detail of your life out for your good, he's not lying. When he says that he has plans for you and that he's going to complete all that he has purposed for you, he's not lying. When he says that nothing will separate you from him or his love, he's not lying. When he says that there's nothing greater than knowing him, he's not lying. When he says that he hears you when you call to him, he's not lying. When he says that his grace is sufficient for you, that he is enough for you in the midst of your suffering and your, and your uncertainty right now, he is not lying. He never lies. That's all I want to say. And this is the thing. We, we can have confidence that he doesn't lie, not only because he says that Paul says he never lies, but we have we have a tangible evidence in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the, what the yes to every single one of God's promises. Jesus' life and death and resurrection, it confirms the fact that God never lies. Jesus, as he comes into the world, he is, as John 1 puts it, full of what? Grace and truth. Truth is, is what defines Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's the one who said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And this is the thing about Jesus himself. He made this, this, this incredibly impossible promise. What he said, he said to his disciples, I'm gonna die, but after three days, I'm gonna rise again. He didn't just promise to be home before bedtime. He said, I'm going to rise again. And what did he do? He did. He rose again. That's exactly what he did. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The ultimate truth teller. And this is the thing. Unlike those who claim to serve the world's best cup of coffee, Jesus' claims are 100% true. But this is the thing about people who make claims. Um, the only way that you can find out if they are true or not is by actually living as if they're true. You know, if somebody promises to make the greatest cup of coffee in the world, the only way you're going to find out is if you taste it. Later on in that movie, in the movie Elf, um, Buddy the Elf is so excited about, you know, the places that he's found in New York City. He goes on a date later in the movie, and he takes this girl to these places that he loves. And, and the very, very, very first place he takes her where is the diner. 
and he sits her down at the counter and he blindfolds her. And he's like, I can't wait for you to taste this. You know, and he puts her hands around this cup of coffee. And he's like, okay, taste it. She's, you know, she's blindfolded and she tastes it. She says, tastes like a bad cup of coffee. And then she takes her, her blindfold off and she looks at it and she's like, it is a bad cup of coffee. And Buddy's like, no, it's the world's best. But that's the thing. That is how you can tell when someone is telling the truth, is when you actually listen and you respond and you live as if they do. They are telling the truth. And so this is the thing. If we, if we can say all we want that, that God never lies, we can say all we want that Jesus has not lied, that he is the truth. But you will never find out how truthful he is, how much you can count on all the things that he said, until you start living in light of all the truths that he's proclaimed, in light of Jesus' claims that he is the bread of life, that anybody who comes to him will never go hungry, that he is the what living water that anybody who drinks of him will never thirst that he is the resurrection and the life that anybody who 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 entrusts themselves to him and, and all of their life to him will actually find life abundant life that's what he promised life that is abundant how can you tell if he's telling the truth well you 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 have to taste as, as psalms 34 puts it's taste and see that the Lord is good. You have to live in light of his claims, in light of God's claims, that he is a good father. You know, in, in, in Matthew 6, when he says, you know, look at the birds. They don't, they don't toil and, 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 and work, and yet God takes care of them. Are you, are you not worth may, way more than, than them to your heavenly father? Think about that. And are you willing to live in light of it, in light of the fact that it is true, that he is telling the truth today? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us today uh, as we think about this, um, as we think about all of the claims you make, all of the promises you make, all of the statements you make, that, um, that Father, we would believe them, that we would accept them, that we would actually put the weight of our lives on them, and that we would know that you are all that you say you are. That all that you promise is true. And it all has the, the potential to give us life abundantly. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a moment in response to God's word to confess how we failed to believe that. Have we failed to trust him at his word? Um, we're going to use the prayer that's printed in your order of worship. It will also be up on the screen. Please pray with me. Holy and loving Father, you abound in mercy, overflow with compassion, and remain steadfast in love. We humbly confess our sins of thought, word, and deed. Father, for entertaining thoughts of lust and greed, envy and revenge, forgive us and cleanse us. For using words vainly, painfully, and foolishly, forgive and change us. For doing things that misrepresent you and contradict the gospel, forgive and cleanse us. 
for breaking confidences and sharing gossip. Gossip, Forgive and change us. We offer our prayer in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to privately confess our sin to you. We pray all this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Joel 2, 12 to 13 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Let's continue to worship.